0: Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Welcome to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week I'm joined by Mr. Sanjay Deboer who is the Vice President and Head of Energy Business at Sharif DG Energy. He's got over 20 years industry experience uh, and is spearheading the renewable energy business development with a focus on solar energy in particular in the Middle East region for the Sharif Group. Uh, As everyone knows Sharif DG is well known uh, in the consumer electronics and retail space uh, but what you might not have known is how uh, advanced their energy businesses as well. Today we'll be focusing on that sector energy, uh, their initiatives for residents, for businesses and pra- practices that are in line with the Dubai Clean Energy Strategy 2050. So today the main topics we'll talk about are the current energy environment as well as uh, the UN's 2030 sustainability goal uh, in the residential sect, in, re- in the solar energy segment. And we'll also talk about the kind of more detailed initiatives that Sharif DG Energy are-, are doing here in the UAE. Welcome, Sanjay.
1: Thank you, Richard.
0: Pleasure is mine. Yeah, thanks for joining. So yeah, so uh, before we kind of go into the, the main topics, um, I was trying, I was looking up your profile and your experience and you have a wealth of experience from management to team to kind of cross everything from uh, consumer electronics, mobile phones, flash imaging, IT, audio software storage. Uh, how did you end up in energy?
1: Well, I've been uh, in Dubai for the last about 21 years now. Okay. And uh, I was primarily focused into the, in the distribution and retail business for a major part of the 20 years. But for the last about three years, uh, I came on board uh, Sharaf DG. Uh, i had been interacting with Sharaf DG for a long time. Um, and Sharaf DG uh, typically picks up a business challenge for the next decade. Okay, and um, has been known to bring non-industry specific professionals into an into the into the vertical or the industry they want to step into, and the reason for that is they they want to go back to the uh, first principles, take a step back, bring a non-industry uh, uh, expert in the industry, and redefine the rules of the game. With that intention, I think. Uh, uh, I was bought into a, a, a let's say a challenge for building the energy business for Sharaf Group uh, for the next decade.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. So when you joined a few years ago, that was the start of this business strategy for Sharaf DG. That's the start of their kind of really investing in the energy sector.
1: Right. So what happens uh, actually? Sharaf Group is a 40-year-old company, has uh, close to about 40 plus companies, more than 10,000 people working. Uh, it Started as a shipping company way back.
0: A shipping company. I uh, started as a shipping company. I didn't know that. It's, it's, it's,
1: it's uh, one of the largest uh, shipping managing companies in, in the region. Uh, what happened is that um, in 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 about uh, in in the last ten years, it was focused on retail. Uh, has a huge success today. Sharaf Dij is a household name with almost twenty five percent of the retail market. With one point five million customers walking through its stores wow. every month. We, with the, with, um, you know, uh, with a eye on the future and the emerging trends, a concerted effort was made to understand what next. And um, the one important thing that happened in two thousand fifteen was the by came out with its shams. The shams in Arabic means sun. sun yeah. So, so it came out with a solar program for rooftop solar in UAE. Okay. And uh, with its DNA being infrastructural, when when the company started, uh, Sharaf being very close to consumer at heart, it Mm. thought that distributed energy, energy being produced right on top of your house, is the space that we belong to. Mm. We have been bringing technology to you for technology to you over the years. And we thought this is the next technology that we need to bring into homes.
0: Okay, interesting so i can understand the logic and the strategy um and it's interesting you, you how you described it as being a 10 year thing i mm-hmm. i'm reminded of the phrase that we vastly underestimate uh, overestimate what we can achieve in a year and underestimate what we can achieve in a decade absolutely so so i suppose in this space it's quite you know the shift of energy is quite uh New, maybe, uh, as in the, the current kind of pace of change in energy is very fast, but the shift uh, we've relied on the same energy sources predominantly for the last 50 years or so. How do you, how do you view that space and how do you view the current kind of energy uh, industry?
1: That's a good question. So, Richard, what's happened is that in the last about 100 years, there's been a 60% increase in greenhouse gases. Okay. What that has done is that uh, it has increased the temperature of the planet by about uh, a degree centigrade. Mm. But if we continue at the same rate, in the next century, this will be about 4 degrees centigrade, Mm. 4.1 degrees centigrade. Mm. What this basically means is that in the last about 100 years, the sea level rose by about, let's say, about 20 centimeters. And the last 20 years, it rose by 8 centimeters if we continue at this rate, we're talking about 2.2 meters in the next 100
0: years. Mm.
1: So all this is at these, I mean, we have put so much carbon out there into the atmosphere and disrupted the delicate ecological balance and the floods, the draught, droughts, we've been seeing them, the forest fires. So uh, it we have almost reached, um, by some analysis uh, cool. and, uh, we've reached a point of no return mm. if we actually don't mitigate these take steps today then we are entering into uh, a, 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 a permanent damage to this beautiful blue planet that we have yeah so there is a, is a compulse a, a, there, there, there is a very strong um, ecological rationale to do so but more importantly parallelly some a very important trend has uh, panned out. The solar energy, uh, over the last ten years, has now become a a, a, a very good commercial alternative. Mm. Uh, actually, what has happened is that solar. Can you explain is, that
0: a bit more for the commercial science? Yes. Yeah. So
1: so yes yes so basically what has happened is that che- so today solar is the cheapest source of producing electricity. Mm.
0: Um, Because it comes from the wind, the natural elements. So, no,
1: see, 10 years ago, solar panels in the last 10 years, uh, the cost of solar panels has dropped by about 80%. Okay. So the cost at which you can produce electricity using solar uh, plant is about $2.4 cents. Compare that with... uh, Electricity produced from gas, which is about three point five cents, and with uh, with oil, that's about eight dollars cents, and nuclear is ten dollars cent. Mm. So last year, solar actually became the largest new energy uh, um, deployment, overtaking coal for the first time in the history of mankind. Okay. So uh, so renewables have become less expensive. There is a very compelling commercial reason now, in addition to the major challenge that we have for preserving the planet, uh, so the two sort of play in uh, and today make a very strong value proposition.
0: Okay, interesting. So just taking a step back and you touched on the kind of uh, very interesting statistics to kind of bring this home to people in the rising sea levels and uh, the, the temperature of the planet. And I think there was an activist group in the U.S. this week who put a ticking clock on Times Square Mm. to show how many days and minutes we have until it goes to minus 1.5 percent, 1.5 something. (laughs) I don't know exactly the number, but it's kind of, you know, there is a clock on this and there are initiatives. You know, we see kind of countries getting together and having initiatives. And China has talked a lot lot about in terms of uh, being the highest it because of the size of the economy of, of um, emissions carbon emissions but what what is the UAE doing and what is the kind of the, the kind of initiative that the UAE has put in place that I alluded to at the start?
1: Richard that's a good question see basically you know it's my personal take but unfortunately a very very important initiative a very compelling uh, Next decade challenge for for the inhabitants of this planet was to shift from fossil fuels to renewable sources of energy. And that dialogue somehow or the other the only mention it gets in news is of a, a you know let us say activists. And I appreciate uh, the concern that they show, but probably the 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 profiling that it creates for such a compelling uh, need of the art may not necessarily resonate with a large uh, okay. population out there. I think the the the, uh, the other way to build the right narrative and I think Dubai has taken that uh, and UAE has taken that initiative in 2015. actually in 2017 UAE announced its uh, 2050 energy strategy okay. and under that strategy it's like it's like a um, uh, interesting uh, all energy by 2050 in UAE has to come from clean sources, mostly renewable. Mm. There has to be a 70% reduction in the carbon footprint of the country. Mm. Uh, we, we may not be, we may be one of the highest per capita energy consumers in the world, mm. thanks to uh, the, the, you know, the, uh, the flagellating economy. Now, uh, the third thing is to reduce consumption or uh, uh, let's say consumption efficiencies have to be improved by about 40% so you we have to reduce consumption on the demand side by energy energy preservation conservation and efficiency mm-hmm. and on the supply side we need to bring in uh, renewable sources like solar so this is what was in what was the vision uh, announced uh, in 2017 for 2050 and by by 7 percent of clean energy was, was targeted to come from noble sources, mm. a, a target which we're, which which the visa countries all, already already achieved. Okay, and uh, it's well on its path. Actually, His Highness uh, Sheikh Mohammed has uh, said that by twenty thirty, every home uh, or every building in UAE should have solar on top of its roof. Yeah, so that will be about twenty five percent of the goal uh, already met. Wow. Uh, we're well on the way, and uh, one of the best things that's happened is that it's not just policy announcement. The country has already put a framework in place in 2015, the Shams Dubai program. Mm. Uh, I would say it's one of the most well-balanced policy documents out there. I mean, you know, if you look at Europe or US and the challenges they went through, and then to be able to launch with such a, such a well-defined document and then encourage it by taking half of that initiative uh, on its own shoulders, mm. the government has deployed half of that to the the 2.5 gigawatt peak that would to be installed by 2020 it's already done it's under commissioning
0: and the second half the policy is that for residents or for businesses and how, how,
1: yeah yes good point so basically that is exactly for for the businesses to step forward for the private sector to step forward and deploy on uh, commercial and industrial establishments hmm. and of course um, corporate offices that want to lead the sustainability goal bring down their cost contribute to the larger vision and of course the residential sector
0: okay so developers and, and also individuals in, in homes and places and residential is that is it other incentives or how does it work in specific is you know and I don't mean this in a sort of um, you know questioning the strategy but you see when there's a good initiative put in place by a government, and if companies get behind this, essentially companies are commercial entities. So other than uh, other than the benefits, uh, the ecological benefits for, for the planet, and then also for as you explained quite well, the uh, the, the cost of energy is becoming cheaper, uh, are there commercial benefits for this strategy? What does your bottom line increase in ten years' time?
1: Yeah, so I think uh...
0: A, a good way
1: to look at this would be to step back and see how the other governments of the world have done
0: it. Great, Yeah.
1: So you know you had Europe with the feed-in tariffs, uh, which means they were supporting you for producing electricity and putting back into the grid at rates higher than at which you were buying it, which means incentivizing you to 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 put on solar. Then of course in U.S. you know we had uh, you have uh, let's say significant tax tax and you could give tax incentives to yeah. to, to stimulate uh, deployment of solar and what happened actually after an initial uh, impetus given in these ways in those market all these benefits were suddenly restructured or withdrawn wiping out big segments of of uh, industries that were built around uh, bottom lines defined on that business uh, maths mm. Dubai took a slightly, or UAE took a slightly different route. Um, instead of throwing in a stack of incentive today and taking it away tomorrow, it very clearly defined that you could feed the grid, grid back in at the same rate at which you're taking electricity from the grid, okay. um, from top down on the tariff rate. Which means today, for a unit of electricity, one kilowatt hour, you pay about forty-four point five cent. Sorry, fils, forty-four point five fills. And when you produce your own electricity, say, on top of your home and excess electricity goes back to the grid, you get paid at the rate of 44.5. Mm. Now, that's that's a very stable, long-term perspective, rather than, you know, uh, rather than, a, 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 you know, let's say a, 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 a sweet, yeah. sweetener, a yeah. short-term sweetener. It's more of a long-term enabler. Yeah and on apparently what the government has also done and uh, is is to create clarity on on uh, uh, the processes it's it's set very good service level agreements it's the turnaround times that these agencies show no. is one of the best in the world wow. the kind of uh, speed that the permitting diva shows it's probably one of the best anywhere in the world yeah so uh, in, and uh, add to it the fact that that uh, the government also has indicated that it just does not want uh, some of the largest energy companies of the world to uh, shift shop to uae today and then you know probably treat this as one just another market mm-hmm. it has been supporting um, all local initiatives as well as international re- initiatives uh, in the sense that uh, it is more focused on ensuring that almost every uh, commercial or, resi- or 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 non-commercial entity in UAE uh, plans or or deploys, say solar on on top of their roof, Mm. um, rather than these large uh, on-ground farms being built. Mm. That part has been kept by the UAE government under the utility sector. And His Highness uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid al-Maktoum solar park, one gigawatt peak, Mm. it's, it's it's miles of uh, panels on the ground. Yeah. But that piece is with, with the utility sector, with DIVA, with the consortiums, and uh, together with DIVA, with government. Mm. Uh, whereas uh, the other sectors, which are more amenable to, let us say, more focused commercial players within this market, mm. rather than some energy giants looking at large projects, so it's, it's more close to the industry, close to home, more close to... You know the the residents okay. very very uh, finely crafted i do not know if that
0: was the end but that's how it has panned out it's very interesting and when you phrase it and when you understand it from a long term planning point of view mm-hmm. it makes one think of uh why it's good to have leaders and uh people putting long-term plan in place rather than short-term incentives whether it's the next uh yeah whether you're you in charge is short-term and I think there was a lot of debate globally at the start of this year. COVID kind of changed the, the narrative, but changed the conversation. But from a CEO sort of mantra at the start of this year on the on the uh, kind of global listed companies, the environment was very front and center, and there's a lot of initiatives put in place. But sometimes uh, CEO listed companies are looking at the next quarter, not even a, a couple of years. So if, when you when you see SharfDG D G as a private company and working in within uh, a region that's also kind of uh, long-term planning with these initiatives you can see why this can help as uh, a sector such as energy which things can't some things can happen overnight but not not we can't all switch tomorrow to a new product or service when it comes to energy uh, so it's interesting to see it from a planning point of view the benefits of thinking long term
1: yes and, and see doing good is We know we, as as commercial entities, we want to do well. Yeah. But we but we but we also want to do good, because doing well for ourselves is not good enough. So uh, as a company, we, you know, we want we want to play larger than just the, the commercial benefit of,
0: of the enterprise. Okay. What is the commercial product? When it, I, I see the lovely Instagram account on SharfDG Energy and the nice website and it's very it explains it as well as you've explained the strategy. But what's the commercial element? For example, I know at Solar Power and the home and the residential but we, we, so, we see a lot of news this week about battery day and what what's happening in the US and Elon Musk and it's all very topical and, you know, but I can understand that because I know what a battery is and I know what a battery, a price of it might be for a car, etc. But when we talk of energy and the DG Energy, what it, what's the commercial aspect? What's the product? Yes, so <laughs> it's pretty simple actually. Yeah.
1: It's one of those simpler products out there. Basically, you take a panel... Put it out there in the sun. Yeah. It starts generating electricity. Okay. And it'll keep doing that for the next 25 years.
0: But how is that a private company? Would that not be something that d would provide or I would do it that way?
1: Right. So, technically, all you need is a solar panel on top of your roof. Now, the question is, uh, so what does it take then? So, basically, all I need to do is look at your roof. Yeah. And your roof will sort of define the size of the system that can be put on top of your roof. Mm. A typical solar system or a plant would have three major components. it will have a solar panel, which converts the light energy into electrical energy, and the electrical energy produces a DC current. Now you need an inverter, which is basically the brain of of this whole system and converts the DC to AC, so, that you can use it in okay. your premise. AC is? Is alternating current. So, okay. direct current. Yeah. So, so, the panels produce direct current and the inverter converts this direct current into alternating current. And it, of course, has several other finer roles to play. But essentially, you have a panel producing electricity, and an inverter converting it to converting into AC that you can then use in your home. Yeah, And the rest is the balance of system. You know, these panels are put on some sort of a racking system, and there are wires that are very nicely defined and taken to your, let's say, your electrical panel, hmm. and then you're connected to the Diva grid. Okay. So any electricity that you produce gets first consumed by your home or your commercial establishment itself. Hmm. Any excess electricity, you're, you know, on a Friday you've gone out, your solar panel, the sun is still out, they're still producing electricity, uh, you're not consuming any, go, gets put back into the grid hmm. and somewhere between your house and the, the Diva grid sits a meter, a solar meter, it's okay. a bi-directional meter. If you are taking electricity, you your you, 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 you know your electricity bill is going up, when you're putting electricity back into the grid, uh, your device paying you back, so you get what is called net metering. Okay. So net metering allows you to, to bring your electricity bill down. Uh, but the the point that we need to look at because we get a mention of batteries many times. Hmm. Why do you need a battery? I mean, like you suppose you were living in a part of the world where there's no electricity at all, yeah. and you had solar panels as a solution, you could generate your own electricity by the day. Hmm. But what happens in night? You don't have any electrical current now. Okay. So you could put batteries. So that during the day you produce electricity, you use electricity and some electricity gets, uh, is used to charge these batteries, which during night time run, run your electricity. But when you have a very stable grid like the way you have in UAE, I, I, I would challenge you to tell me when was the last time you saw a blip or you had no electrical supply at home. So
0: yeah, I've been happens. here for 21 years you know, yeah.
1: and there was a one blip I think what 17 18 years ago and it was headlines in newspapers mm-hmm. and it was under a minute
0: okay
1: I have not seen that over a decade now so okay. so this is one of the best grids that you can have anywhere in the world right. so there is no compelling reason for you to increase the cost of your solar system by adding solar uh, batteries sorry to batteries to it mm. you connect yourself to the grid when solar electricity is uh, is being generated, you use it. When there is no solar electricity, you use the diva grid electricity, mm. or your whichever emirate you are in, uh, a grid electricity. Okay. So the 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 reason for a battery as of now may not be compelling, but going down the road a few years from now, there are other uh, reasons why battery would come into play, because okay. you build the grid around. Uh, you know, plants that would, uh, um, you know, gas plants, and mm. now we also have nuclear in the play. But as solar kicks in, you know, imagine during midday, almost everybody is producing solar electricity, mm. and nobody's taking electricity from the grid. Okay. Now, what should the utility do? At what capacity should they build the grid? At what capacity should they deploy the hardware and all of the parameters of the grid yeah, uh, if a large part of the electricity during the day is going to come from solar. But that's maybe a 5 or a 10 year, if not 10, maybe like three, 5 to 7 years away. Mm. And that's when probably the smart grids and uh, longer definitions of the right grid for, for any any uh, country yeah. would start kicking in. But, but Dubai, is, Dubai has been smart enough to
0: actually yeah.
1: bring some semblance of control on that already.
0: Yeah, can you explain? so I wish I knew more about the overall industry. i have very, very uh, surface level knowledge of the energy sector, but uh, so I'm understanding a bit more about the how important renewables and clean energy is for to replace uh, uh, existing energy sources, uh, and you know uh, that can mean that can be related to. Uh, building homes and building build, uh, building commercial buildings as well is that part of uh a new if i 'm a construction company and i want to build them all or say a new airport or uh or a apartment complex uh, uh you know is there a requirement from a solar energy point of view um, and is and then do I then go and purchase these panels from Sharif d g
1: okay so uh... <laughs> Richard, we have a very good view from where we are sitting. If you look outside, almost all those roofs yes. out there, they're all covered on the top by, you know, HVAC system. You know, these are ventilation and air conditioning systems on top of the roof. Okay. Um, you see, in the last few decades, the one important challenge for this part of the world was, you know, how we can okay, you have these excellent temperatures that you have today inside inside the building.
0: Yeah.
1: no Nobody really... Thinks about uh, ...thought about leaving space for what's about to come. Okay. So, and... So, the, in, there are about 200,000 buildings in UAE. Okay. About 60,000 of them uh, are, are, let's say... It's a good start. i
0: never heard that one before. <laughs> right, right. Good knowledge, yeah. <laughs> yes. And... Uh, 60,000 of them are?
1: The 60,000 of them are, let us say, uh, you know... Uh, Villas or or buildings with single story where you can put solar uh, relatively more easily. Yeah, Uh, these tall vertical buildings in the current uh, technology format do not have much space on top of the roof. So, but if you look at a warehouse or 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 let's say a a manufacturing plant, they have large roofs. Schools, hospitals, uh, you know, these are all places where you find large roofs and uh, some of the villas have large enough a roof, almost all villas have large enough a roof to offset a good part of electricity. So depending on the size of your roof, you can offset anywhere from 20, 30, 40, and in
0: some cases, almost 90% or
1: 100% of your electricity by putting solar.
0: Okay, so it could but, be an individual, so basically, sorry to interrupt that, the um, the, one, the, fr- the first opportunity is converting existing. Premises. Right, that's what that's what I was coming to. Yeah. So,
1: now you have 200,000 buildings out there. There's a certain rate at which new buildings will come into mm. play. You know, a CAGR of about 4% annual growth was there uh, before the, let us say, the excitement around 2020 started building that rate up. So, you know, you're only adding as, as much of the total existing buildings as new buildings. So two parts to it. Retrofitting the existing buildings is probably the first and immediate uh, attractive segment for almost all governments and um, commercial entities to focus on. Having said that, there's a, now it's not officially put out there, but there has been these discussions about mandating that all new buildings must have provision for solar infrastructure. And hmm. that's a design integration, which is not difficult at all. You can plan your HVAC and your and your solar uh, early on mm. in fact uh, several buildings in in 2020 Expo would actually demonstrate that so BIPV built-in photovoltaics has been there and uh, as 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 economies as, as societies get more sensitized to this Awesome solution out there. I mean imagine it's I mean, I, sometimes I give this this story. You'll be using fossil fuel. Fossil fuels is e- eons, th- millions of years of buried organic matter. Yes. Yeah. Stratas after strata. Found in some places as concentrated pools of
0: oil, let's say. More common in the so you uh,
1: Yes. And then you, you drill, uh, you know, and bring it out. And then you pump it hundreds of miles into some refinery or a plant and generate electricity and then pump it back through grids and bring it home to you. Instead, put something on top of your roof, generate your electricity and use it. Yeah. There and then.
0: Yeah.
1: The, the total amount of energy that the planet receives in one hour can take care of all energy needs of the planet for the full year. Mm. So there's so much abundance of solar, wind, and other renewable energy out there mm. that, you know, it's, it's just a matter of time. So there is a there's a very strong commercial reason, too. Uh, I mean, if you can offset your electricity bills at the rate I just
0: mentioned. You save money, up, but also, also there is a commercial.
1: Yes, yeah, so part, yeah. you, you have a, a, an IRR of 20% plus. You're, you're, you're talking about paybacks of, uh, let's say, f- three, four, five, four to five years, commercial uh, uh, you know, uh, assets. So going forward...
0: Just to clarify, so energy, even renewable energy and clean energy is still a commodity, so it's still, it still has value. So there's still incentive to produce it for commercial entities.
1: Oh, very strong, compelling reason. That is why there is now a very good offtake in in Dubai. In fact, uh, Diva had to, this January, sort of come out and say, look, uh, it reserves the right to the number of approvals it can give in one year. Okay, And and of course, it it completely facilitates the process. Diva really handholds you through projects. So... You see, you can see they, they have a, a commitment to purpose. They want to ensure deployment of solar, mm. but you can imagine with, with the flurry of interest in that, yeah. there is there may be some gate crashing there. And he says, look, uh, you know, I deserve the right in case yeah. to, to let people in. Yeah. So that's the sort of interest around it
0: right yeah. now. But just so that's really interesting from a kind of an industry opportunity point of view. Um, I've seen some sort of traditional. Uh, known as oil companies rebrand as energy companies even from a logo point of view and things like that but typically we you know if I understood it now as you've explained it well I would expect uh, traditional energy companies to be in this space I'm sure they are but uh, why would um, uh, why would a company who hasn't been in this space enter it and have an opportunity in it why hasn't the energy companies already you know, that's their space, but How is there, How is there any gap, it, you know, do we letting people in or not? But, you know, if you, if you understand it, like mm-hmm. how can, if I'm making uh, manufacturing iPhones, uh, how can I move in and manufacture energy? What if Apple had a renewable energy as some of them are starting to do, but yeah.
1: So this is an interesting question, Richard. It has to be understood in, uh, you know, we can take, we can look at this in two ways. So if i'm an incumbent if i'm if i'm in the energy sector and some of us so i'm i'm not talking about Sharaf now i'm talking about the companies that are large energy companies uh, oil companies for example they've been there for decades Hmm. some of them for about 100 years they have created that success on a certain profit formula yeah they have mastered the art of creating right fossil fuels This world has been run on fossil fuels for decades. That's what they do best. Now, the challenge is to move away from it. So some of them would transition, but as has been seen in other industries, most of them probably wouldn't. There's an inertia to success. If I'm good at something, uh, not, uh, not all of us would challenge ourselves To to figure out what's our next good uh, escal, let's say.
0: Yeah, so uh, Mr. Sanjay, I think we understand disruption. I mean, uh, you know, as in I do from other fields, say the media space, and, you know, tech companies can come in. Uh, But from an incumbency point of view, and moving uh, legacy kind of systems to a new product might be hard. And usually the one that does well is the startup, the fresh approach. I think um, at, at an event in the region last year, and you might know the name of the company Red Something, an energy company uh, set up by a founder who used to work for Tesla, uh, is now producing a new form of energy. Excuse my ignorance. but So that's what I would expect. This guy came from Tesla, came, saw the energy problem they're trying to solve, um, and then created something new. What I wouldn't expect is uh, someone a company who has such experience in a completely uh, different field to know more and to make a good fist of it uh, and against even a company you find it hard to take around because they've got so much experience in energy, right?
1: Right. So, uh, you know, let me, uh, I said, you know, there are two parts to it. Of course, yeah. there is the incumbent. And uh, now... There are others, as you said, you know, they're agile, you know, they're they're innovative and they want to jump in. They can see the trend emerging. So that's, you also have several startups and you know, right now we have more than 140 companies registered in the want to do solar. So a lot of people also jumped in in, into solar and other uh, renewable energy solutions. But there's a, there's a challenge here. Uh, We, uh, we also need the right business model for this to be sustained. We are at a stage where a narrative has to be built around it. Okay. We, somebody has to, 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 to talk to the market, bring home the fact that the change is happening. Mm. And um, if I'm too small, too early, I may not have the bandwidth to invest in, in that piece of of, of of the business model. The advantage with companies like, for example, Sharaf DG would be that, you know, we're already close to the customer. So I don't have to go to the customer and first explain who am I. Mm, true. Uh, we have built that trust over decades. It's taken us more than a decade to to be, to be the, let us say, the harbinger of new technology kind of a place, right? So mm. we, we brought technology into homes, Uh, consumer electronics for example and electricals and we can see what is coming and we see we see a role there we need to bring that message home so there is this compulsion that the incumbent has which may not give him the the agility or the let us say probably the focus and they of course are are uh, some of them are working in this sector as a part of uh, a smaller part of their business is is working on, on renewables too. But it's probably not the in- incumbent energy companies, neither, and I don't mean it in a discouraging sense, entrepreneurs are able to substantially contribute to it. To it. Mm. All of them have a role to play, but somebody with a little more, let us say a longer trust factor and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, an emerging technology sector recognition probably has some advantages I would, we would consider
0: so I can understand and you describe it again well about the narrative for the industry and education but uh, and hopefully that will come and, and you and this in a small way this interview will help in a small way but a narrative internally and a narrative on uh, sheiff DG energy for you because not only do incumbent energy companies need to tell need to change or can change and have a different margin and a different business model than they're used to Uh, a retail company also has uh disruptive forces in terms of their existing business model so uh i'm not asking question of why focused energy somewhere else because sheriff group has as you said over 100 companies so it's okay so i get that why you might have a different strategy but uh the, the internal conversation, uh, our, the narrative around how we can make the margins for energy would be very different for retail. So, I, how, how is that conversation going for you? Yes,
1: yes. yes. So, yes, you know, I, if there's a business management student out there listening, I think this may be of some help. <laughs> so, first, I want to make a small correction. Yeah. Large oil companies or fossil companies are also you know, uh, are also playing it out in the renewable field. It's not that they're averse to it. It's just that business model compulsions will give them different levels of interest and in accelerated engagement in the sector. That's that's a different piece altogether. And so I do not want to pass a judgment on that wisdom. They know best what they're doing. Yeah. As far as Sharaf is concerned, look, uh, we started as an infrastructural company. So we have been doing this for decades now. Yeah. We have more than 800 assets that, that we maintain in UAE. So, uh, so that business model is not new. What has happened is that in the last 10 years, we got into electronics and fashion retail. So we have bought a dozen brands and over 300 stores that we have in the region. Uh, so the B2C engagement. Business to direct consumer engagement sort of brand, sort of positioned the brand as if it's a a pure retail brand. But essentially it carries the DNA of a B2B company. So they're the best of the two worlds. Mm, So even as we know and understand a business model uh, around uh, B2B engagement, we have the benefit of recognition of the brand as far as the end consumers are concerned. Mm. So, um, end of the day, every P2P customer is actually a B2C customer. There yeah. is a CEO somewhere who is my customer of an elec- from yeah. an electronic store, Then, yeah. uh, as and when he sees that we have the capability and we have demonstrated that capability. We have mm. done the several, uh, we have done more than 250 energy projects yeah. in, in UAE already.
0: Yeah, uh, interesting. But not all B2B companies are entering this space. Maybe DW are letting them in, but not all. So it is a it's a strategic decision. It, it fits what you're good at as you've identified. But it is quite a strategic decision, yeah?
1: Yes, I mean, <laughs> that would be a nice word to use. But yes, uh, there's a lot of thought that's gone into it. And uh, we thought that we could bring value. Okay. A, the, comp- the, the deciding factor was, is there a value that we can, we can really...
0: Bring price value or a service value or a product
1: so if you see sharaf you know the the best way to attrition value would be play with price yeah is getting cheaper is probably uh, is not the only value that the consumer needs today
0: mm.
1: you know the, the economies of scale uh, from manufacturing to the complete supply chain and the, the maturity of uh, you know delivery to the customer through various uh, b2b or b2c go to market um, strategies that exist price is not where the real differentiator sits anymore hmm. whatever you can do it for 10 dollars i can do it for 9.8 if i can't somebody else can hmm. question is within the 10 dollar can I bring you more value okay and what is that additional value that I can bring for you Mm. so our challenge is not that and we understand this is is not that we just make it cheaper for you you know an Apple phone you would pay another ten dollars for it
0: Mm.
1: and probably another ten now now uh, so so
0: because of the strong brand. So a that, brand everything,
1: yeah. You know, I if I started saying Sharaf T G is the best energy company out there, it's not a story Richard, any, anybody other than who probably lives with me or works with me would buy that
0: easily. Needs more substance to
1: it, yeah. So it takes it it takes
0: a a, a
1: commitment to purpose and an actual delivery to build that trust. Mm. I mean we didn't become Sharap DG just because we had a fancy looking logo at that time and it was introduced. We had these uh, hoardings all across the town. No, every single transaction that took place in the last 12 years contributed its bit to build the trust Mm. uh, in in that brand. And today when we foray into the energy sector with all validation and everything, it's that trust that we need to stand up to. Okay. So we have a purpose here. We have we have a commitment here. Yeah. And uh, we have an expectation that we have to live up to.
0: Great. It's interesting to hear it from that perspective. Thanks for sharing. So two more questions and kind of in the same area about the future. Uh, one generic uh, around uh, this region uh, as an emerging market. Uh, what's your view on that? Do you, do you see, uh, not really just from a sheriff group lens, but what's your kind of perspective of uh, the, the GCC, the Middle East as an emerging market in the context that uh, when I was growing up, they told us, I always ask this question, but they told us about the BRIC nations and uh, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, and they're the emerging markets. And the word emerging, you know, what follows is you've emerged. You just assume that that will happen, but that didn't happen uh, in the same degree clearly. One economy is has emerged faster than another. Uh, some maybe aren't, uh, and then India is clearly emerging at a rapid pace at the moment. Uh, and some, you know, so it's not a given that the Middle East emerges. Do you think it will? And and, and what's your view?
1: Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I I bet my life on it. I right. spent, <laughs> spent, spent twenty one years here. Yeah. And I was asked this question, and you know, I I know I, I you know I I have invested in ways. That, that prove that, that I am committed. Yeah, And, you know, there was a very interesting uh, question me and my wife would face very early on, when, you know, when we were uh, looking, you know, there was this real estate booming in Dubai and, you know, we would be interested in some of these properties that were coming in and, you know, we, you know our cohorts or, or our families would ask us, you know, do you really want to invest? And for us, we used to wonder why Everything was out there to be seen.
0: Why would well, they ask that question? Yes, why it wasn't obvious. yes, yeah. okay. you
1: know, you you could actually see, you know, if, you know, plans being made uh, and and plans being executed. So I think the magic is in the leadership. Okay. And to expect that every country will probably, you know, grow and uh, take off at the same rate is. Is is too much to expect. Mm. Um, the point to look at, I mean, from my perspective would be, what sector are we? What are we emerging? F- about? What are, What is this emerging about? Mm. I've seen some of the finest curtsies where I think there are other markets across the world that need to still emerge. Okay. I've seen cultural values here, True. which I think several other markets are yet to come up to. Energy is the next big transitional leap mm. that will pan out over the next few decades. That's emerging for all of the world. Mm. The point is what have the countries in this part of the world imagine known for its you know oil rich reserves. These are the some of the countries that have begun pivoting mm. and Dubai has sort of led the charge. As in, not just as an emirate, but mm. of course, uh, you know uh, UAE as a country, and a, a standard and an example has been set for other countries, and several other countries have been following that model. Yeah. So the quote-unquote emerging is happening around, let us say, um, you know, you know, the emerging, let us say, renewable sector or yeah. the, the new energy solution, and that's a big place. Uh, you know, electric vehicles, yeah, uh, sustainable way of living. These are these are no longer uh, you know for for uh, let us say very innovative piece of let us the larger bell shaped curve. These are now becoming uh, an areas of interest and engagement and deployment for a larger emerging uh, segment of players. Mm be the individual uh, corporations institutions or governments
0: interesting I again thank you nicely explained uh, and a good context I think from a you know from an emerging market usually the metrics would be GDP or middle class or uh, things like that mm-hmm. but I think to understand it from an energy point of view is very is pertinent and kind of leading on to the final question around the future, uh, you know a, a narrative around energy and what role does say Expo 2020 that, that will now start next year have to play in that and uh you know uh, I see when I'm out cycling in Al Qudra I see this solar energy facility but I don't know what it does like what, what what are these sort of um tangible things such as how Expo has been built and the narrative around that how do you think they're Important to what's been happening here.
1: So you know, sometimes I get asked this question: that what is what will <coughs> xcode twenty twenty do? So my take on that is, you know, like my take on uh, emerging market was maybe a slightly different from just GDP and uh, yeah. some of the factors. Being, you know, that, that of course is, is that is of course well, the, the, nice, the yeah. standard way of looking at it. I just wanted to throw in an, <laughs> a, a perspective to it. Yeah. But coming to this. Yeah. Uh, Coming to this, if it was not 2020, if it was anything else, Dubai would spin, still spin some magic around it. So you know, the, so Dubai. So 2020 is an identified opportunity to create, a, to use as a base for creating the message for the future, and make a statement about the country and make a statement about where we need to focus is humanity so uh, the, what I'm trying to say is that the fact that Dubai hosts it is more important than that it is 2020 okay and the fact that it has moved from the challenges of this year to the next year you know initially when, when we were we were looking at how things are happening say in the first quarter of this year towards the end of the first quarter of this year and what would happen to 2020, there was this big question. But after having, you know, lived through these next few months, I can say this, and correct me if it doesn't make sense. Look at the timing now. If we had the current health challenge, let's say, take let's say, mitigated, if tomorrow there was there was no such problem, what is the first thing you would want to do? Would you not want to travel?
0: I think. The would you not want to? First thing that comes to people's uh, mind, yeah.
1: <laughs> what wouldn't you want to go places? Wouldn't you want to find out what's the next that we need to engage with? Wouldn't you go to a place, one of the one of those more beautiful places on the planet, in in definitely some sense of the word, and and go and see what this expo is about. What does the future look about, Mm. look like? Mm. Don't you think Dubai will ramp it up like nothing else? Don't you think all of this sort of is about waiting to happen? Yeah. So look at the timelines. Isn't there a case for some, you know, I'm not a medical expert, but isn't there a very strong case for some solution emerging over the next few months to take away The disadvantages that the current situation may have created. Yeah. So I may sound optimistic, but look at, you're looking at October next year. And we are in October this year, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm a little more confident about the world finding medical solution to it before that. And unleash a pent-up need to go out and ride it.
0: Yeah. I love the optimism. Can I challenge you on one part of it? Sure. Because uh, behaviors change. There's digitalization, transformation, but also uh, traveling costs money. Uh, vaccines might cost money or might not. But uh, you know, the, the, where we will be next year in twelve months' time, uh, mightn't the numbers that might be expected from a football point of view mightn't really be possible from an economic personal travel expense. Uh, Some of the numbers that we've heard from uh, semi-government entities around footfall in in the airports expect the 2019 numbers to be in 2024. Uh, The best estimate uh, for this year are uh, 22 million passengers as opposed to 89 million last year and 32 million next year. So from a football point of view I I but maybe maybe and maybe you should work for Dubai Tourism because maybe if anyone's going to pick one place, they need to come to Expo. <laughs> so if the choice is smaller, but yeah,
1: of course, you, you, what you're saying is how it looks to an analyst. Right? Yeah, but I draw your attention to the fact that uh, I'm not suggesting that all of it will be normal straight away. Yeah, what I'm saying is that the drop in disposable income or let's say the capacity to spend uh, to undertake travel or any other such enterprise will drop by a factor, of course. But so would a pent-up demand be building in. So you can you need to play both factors out to see what is the net sum game eventually. Okay. But having said that, if the net sum game is that the delta is not as big as the travel agents travel experts would want to forecast or analysts would want to forecast because you need to sort of add the piece that the pent-up demand brings but also the fact that when the demand is released and you're talking about the globe there's 7.5 billion people out there a good number of them have fallen into a, a statistical definition of how much tourism you should expect mm. for an economy of uh, but but the fact that you are able to attract an x percentage higher than say for example some other place on the planet then you add then you play all these factors together i i, I have cause for optimism
0: great i love it. i love <laughs> hearing it and it's refreshing to hear thank you um so on a final note what's it what's it tangible takeaway that you're hoping after the expo uh for the energy sector uh would it be that there's more uh foreign direct investment into companies here or would it be that there's uh more awareness uh from uh you know in general about the narrative that you you kind of needs to happen for, to accelerate the shift
1: um both of them but the more immediate challenges is fairness yeah it is the narrative okay Uh, and uh, you'll be very surprised that the single biggest challenge that we face when we put these value proposition on a table for a potential buyer they try to understand what's the catch in it I mean you're going to save money there are solutions where you don't even have to invest you can pay from your savings that you make because of putting in solar or other mm. renewable solution and then you're saving the planet yeah so where is the catch so point is the number of people that who have understood this mm. is a is a progressively growing number and let us say the count which is commercially viable today is not significant enough mm. for it to be seen as oh this is another thing that in any case has to happen yeah so i think 2020 what it will do is it will bring it center stage yeah it will give the opportunity for players like us and you to bring the story home we we need children walking out of school are better sensitized at what to do about energy than some of the people uh, okay i moved away but some of the people of my age would probably not buy that story so well yeah and all the money would sit with such decision makers so, I think the 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 new generation is a little more closer to the emerging idea of a noble. It's the people who are sitting up there who will take time to move. That is why I really appreciate the fact that the leadership mm, in these, understand in, in this, this country and it. in this country and, and they it,
0: don't call it a hoax <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no and thank you and you know uh, i I'm one more person to add to that this who's convinced after this conversation. And, you know, one day, inshallah, we'll be able to have our own building, our own media studios, three or four stories. And one of the things I will ask the construction company is to make sure that we're, uh, that we're providing uh, clean energy to power our internet connections and things like that. It, it's, 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 <laughs> our producer <it's>, is laughing. <laughs> it's, it's inevitable.
1: Yeah. Question is, when will you board the bus? Yeah.
0: Yeah. As soon as we can. Journey has begun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, we can, I think it's a good point. We can, ask, we can start by asking, uh, by checking, reading the material on the buildings that we rent and the, and the properties that we might own in existing complexes and just look at what's there. I think it's, a, it's opened my eyes uh, to it. So thank you very much, Mr. Thank Sanjay. And you, looking forward to following the story as it evolves.
1: Thank you. Pleasure was mine. And uh, come, be solar. Call yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to action. You. Love it. Thank Thanks a lot. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Dubai Works. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on wherever you're listening. And also, for the latest news and business across the region, in your pocket, please download the Smashy app on iOS and Android. See you next week.